Biblically speaking, the Holy Spirit is the power that leads people to Christ and that gives us the new life of a believer. The Holy Spirit living within us is the light that illuminates everything we see from then on out. But let's step back and begin with the Old Testament. The words Holy Spirit together only appear in one psalm and then twice close together in the book of Isaiah. And in each case, the H and the S are not capitalized. Yet the Spirit is mentioned many times in the Old Testament. The obvious question is whether the Spirit of the Old Testament is the same as the Holy Spirit of the New Testament. The answer is that yes, theologically it is the same. And in fact, if you look at the behavior and impact of the Spirit in the Old Testament, which is typically called the Spirit of God with a small s, it is the same as the Holy Spirit of the New Testament. The Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit both fall upon people, enabling them to do what God asks of them, even under dangerous conditions and in the face of great evil. From now on, the Spirit, with a small s, and the Holy Spirit will be used interchangeably for us in this message. Consider Ezekiel 37 and his wild vision of a valley of dried bones from people killed in combat. The bones coming together, muscles forming on the bones, and the soldiers rising up. Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil, then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. We see the metaphor of the dead army coming back to life. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, will enter the people of God who are dead spiritually because the Israelites, including Ezekiel, have been captured by the Babylonians and sent far east into exile. The Spirit is seen as the four winds breathing life back into the people of God so that they can regain their ancient home given to them by God. This is a common biblical metaphor, visualizing the Holy Spirit as wind. Let's look at the Gospel of John, the famous scene where Jesus accepts a drink of water from the Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were descendants of people who had been brought to Israel by the Assyrians to replace Israelites who had been captured and taken away as prisoners. The Samaritans practice a form of Judaism, but they had ethnic pagan roots. The Jews hated them as perverters of their Torah. 
But Jesus treated her with respect and refused to cancel the Samaritan woman. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. There's a subtlety here that modern readers often miss, but ancient readers knew that Jesus wasn't talking about water as giving us eternal life. It is the Holy Spirit that leads us there. We see here the metaphor of the Holy Spirit as water. Now we move to the most famous reference to the Holy Spirit in the Bible and the most famous metaphor for the Holy Spirit. This is in Acts chapter 2, where Jesus has left the earth and the Holy Spirit fills the apostles before they start off on their mission of spreading the faith outward from Jerusalem. When Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Here we see the Holy Spirit as fire. By allowing them to communicate with people from the many language groups represented in Jerusalem, the Spirit kickstarts their ministry. We do need to keep in mind that although the New Testament is dominated by the Gospels and the writings of Paul, the Apostles also dedicated their lives to evangelism. The Bible does not record the martyrdom of any Apostle other than James, who was beheaded, but extra-biblical writings tell us that all the apostles, other than Judas, were martyred. It started with the Holy Spirit. It led them through a dangerous life dedicated to spreading the word. There's another version of the Holy Spirit as a force descending on someone. It's from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. When we see Jesus baptized by John the Baptist in the river Jordan. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, 
the beloved. With you I am well pleased. In this scene, the Holy Spirit is visualized as a dove, the symbol of peace and the deliverer of the inspiration of God. In the Gospel of John, we also see the Holy Spirit described as an advocate, which in the original Greek is parakletos, and is translated as one who is alongside us. It also means defender. The Holy Spirit is also in this passage called the truth. Here's a highly compressed version from chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Jesus is talking to the apostles. He's telling them that in a bit, he'll be gone from the earth. But the advocate, the truth, the Holy Spirit will guide them and teach them. The Holy Spirit's presence in them means that they will never be alone and they will never be on their own. But Jesus says something very important here. He says that the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit because the world does not accept God. He makes it clear when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In return for true faith, Jesus will give them the advocate, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not free. We must follow God's law. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul tells the believers in Corinth that they've been given the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is seen as a gift. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were Gentiles, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. To one is given, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of powerful deeds, to another prophecy, 
to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same spirit who allots to each one individually, just as the spirit chooses. We see that the Holy Spirit isn't some passive entity waiting until we're in trouble and then rescuing us. The Holy Spirit allows us to become the most we can be. For each of us, the gift of the Holy Spirit is materialized differently. Some of us gain wisdom, some knowledge, some incredible faith, some the ability to heal, some the skill to perform powerful deeds, and some the ability to prophesize. We are unique as individuals, and the Holy Spirit leverages this to guide each of us to the place where we belong. There's a variation of this gift metaphor in Ephesians, a letter traditionally attributed to Paul, but we now believe was not written by him. The language of Ephesians is often very complex and difficult to interpret. This is from the first chapter of Ephesians, where the author is offering a blessing or a benediction to the readers, assuring them of God's love. We start with verse 11. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his will. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people. By becoming believers, we are assured as a sort of inheritance that the Holy Spirit will live within us. We're marked with a seal, a guarantee. The word that's used for guarantee is an economic term in biblical Greek, and it literally means a down payment or a deposit on something greater. We see the Holy Spirit here as a pledge that we will receive all the blessings that come to those who are faithful. The last metaphorical description of the Holy Spirit that we'll look at comes from 1 John chapter 2. Here the Holy Spirit is visualized as anointing oil. But you've been anointed by the Holy One, and all of you have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And you know that no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. I write these things to you concerning those who would deceive you. As for you, the anointing that you received from him abides in you, so you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and not a lie, and just as it has taught you, abide in him. First John is more of a homily or a sermon than a letter. We do not know who wrote it. We believe First John was written in Ephesus, but we don't know to whom. 
In this section of the letter, the author tells the faithful that the Antichrist, who is evil in living form, will not take command of us because we've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us differentiate the truth from the lies told by the Antichrist. We see in this passage the Holy Spirit being visualized as an anointing. This would have had a powerful meaning to ancient believers because kings, priests, and prophets of the time were ceremoniously anointed with oil. To sum up, the Holy Spirit breathes our spiritual lives into us, is the water of heavenly life sustaining us for eternity, is the fire that drives us as we serve God on earth, is the dove bringing peace and inspiration, acts as an advocate guiding us through difficult times in life, brings each of us unique gifts that allow us to serve our predestined roles in the kingdom of God, acts as a promise of so much more to come if we maintain our faith in God and serves as a royal anointing oil that protects us from evil. The Holy Spirit is an incredibly multifaceted form of God. Most of us go through life depending only on ourselves and occasionally leaning on family or close friends when we're in great need. We might share the daily tasks and trials of life with a partner. Even though we are believers, we don't truly depend on God. We come to church. We might pray occasionally. In times of especially great stress, we turn to God and ask for deliverance. As a chaplain, I have seen a few tattoos that depict the Holy Spirit. They tend to involve doves, perhaps with an olive sprig in their beaks. One young woman had a very realistic, detailed depiction of a dove flying upward with the earth in its claws. My favorite was on the right bicep of a young man. It was a dove, formed not of feathers but of yellow, orange, and red flames. It was beautifully done, and it captured for me the dual essence of the Holy Spirit, its incredible power, and its calming peace. The Holy Spirit is the third aspect of the Trinity and is therefore God. Like Jesus, the Holy Spirit has a special role as God. The Holy Spirit is present within us, ready to fill us with empowering grace. We need to learn to live with the Holy Spirit as a for real entity, not as a series of metaphors in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is literally the Spirit of God giving us life. I asked that young man why he had chosen that tattoo. He said he was a believer and that he had been so since he was a boy and that the tattoo on the outside of him reminds him of what is on the inside of him. He said that he begins every day by looking at that tattoo and talking to the Holy Spirit. He said that he had had things go wrong in life, his parents both dying before he finished high school, flunking out of college and having his fiancée break up with him. 
He said that he drove for Uber for a living and that he could barely afford to rent a room in an older couple's home. But each morning, when he looked at his fire dove and spoke to the Holy Spirit, he knew that he wasn't alone. He knew he could do whatever he needed to do that day.